All right, good morning, Bethel. How's everyone this morning? Good. And we are in week three of our series, Reset. We're looking at heading down this path of resetting our hearts and our minds. We're looking at a bigger picture of the character of God in difficult situations. And really we're looking at kind of how our heart responds to difficult situations. Many times our response of our heart determines our outcome in life. You know, as we've thought through this idea of resetting and what does that mean for us in our lives? What does that mean for us in the life of our church? You know, many times we try to rush back to normal, or we, but we, instead we should take advantage of this God-given reset that he has given to us and begin a new path. So the last couple of weeks we've been wrestling with this question and thinking through it of what is the point of a do-over if we just continue to do the same things over again? What is the point of a second chance if we do exactly the same thing that we have always done. So we're going to continue on looking in the book of Ezra, as we've done the last couple of weeks, working through this first part of Ezra in our time together. And Ezra is a historical book, a book in the Jewish scriptures that tells us about the story of the nation of Israel getting a reset. They reset the entire nation because if you remember, first couple of weeks we talked about how the nation of Israel was taken off into captivity by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and now the great Persian king Cyrus has allowing the, the nation of Israel to come back home to Jerusalem and rebuild their city. We're going to look at today, rebuild their temple and rebuild their society. They have a chance of reset. Now, if you remember, the original reason why they were taken away into captivity was because their hearts had become hard against God. They are worshiping everything and anything else besides the one true God. And God said, you know what? You want all of that pagan culture? You want all of those pagan gods? I'll give it to you. So much so that I'm going to let you be swept up and taken away into Babylon. But during this time, we see that God stirred the hearts of the people. He stirred them to return. He stirred them to rebuild, and they obeyed. They obeyed his call. We've seen in previous weeks, God is in charge of who's in charge. Remember that. We look at all of the craziness in the world, and we think, how can the world be so crazy at one moment? Remember, God is in charge of who's in charge. And in the last week we looked at being a Christian is not a habit. It is a lifestyle. Being a Christian is not a habit. It is a lifestyle. So let's look into, we'll move on to Ezra chapter 3 today, beginning in verse 1. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Other versions have it, and with that portion there of one man, they gathered unified in Jerusalem. They were together. They were a unified people, a unified nation together, coming to rebuild, to restore, 
To rebuild, we must be unified. Unity keeps us focused. Unity keeps us protected. Unity is obedience. Unity is, it's not about me. That means I put my personal agenda aside and I come together for the betterment of the church as a whole. Unity is powerful. So we have a mission. We have a mission of we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. We've got our sign back up. As you walked in, you saw it kind of blocking the, the sound booth there this morning. We want to re-ingrain this mission in your mind each week. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about others. That means that there's going to be times that we need to walk through difficult situations with each other. That means we need to have difficult conversations with those that we love. I've had some difficult conversations over the last couple of weeks that have led to some sleepless nights that has not been fun for me as a pastor. But as being a part of a church family, that is what happens. That's part of being unified on mission. That means we always need to redirect to Jesus. That means our mind should be focused both long-term and short-term on the mission of Jesus. So let's get unified in our work. We all have a gift to give. We all have a place to serve. We all have a time to give. This church cannot rebuild without you. We cannot accomplish the mission. I cannot accomplish the mission of the church by myself. It is a unified effort of accomplishing the mission of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading here, verse 2. Let's see what happens as they come together unified as a nation. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. What I want you to see here is as they move back into the land, you have to, a little historical thing here, when God took the Israelites out of Israel, there was a little bit of a power gap there, and other people groups moved into the land that they vacated. So whenever they came back into the land of Israel, those people groups didn't leave. They didn't like the fact that this land that they had had for the last 70 years, there were now other people occupying that land. And they were fearful. The Israelites were fearful because they were facing off attacks from these other people groups. It said here in this verse, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. You see, there was a fear here. But did that fear of death, did that fear of attack, did it stop them from rebuilding? No, it didn't. Because they said, the worship of our God is more important than any fear 
that we may have. Because our God is in control. Our God is in control. The very first thing they did was build an altar to God. They understood that resetting their lives involved worship. To reset your life correctly, it involves worship of our God. So here's where we are today. When we think about this idea of worship, obviously we don't have a huge temple. We don't have an altar like what they had that they would come to. But Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, doing away with the requirement to go to Jerusalem, to worship, to burn sacrifices. And when Jesus did that, he said, I have set up the altar in your heart. Your bodies are a temple to me. Where your heart is, that is what you worship. Jesus changed that entire paradigm when he came and he died upon a cross for our sins. We all worship something. Why? Because we were made to worship. That is how the creator wired us. He wired us to worship. We all worship something. Whether that's going to the lake on the weekend or sports or your work, your career, your toys, your spouse, the beach, whatever it is, we all worship something. And I'll tell you, how do you know what you worship? Well, here's what you can, how you can figure that out. Whatever has your attention has your affection. Whatever has your attention has your affection. So ask yourself today, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? Even though they feared the local residents, they still gathered for worship because they knew worship of their God was the number one priority in their life. Fear is an interesting feeling because it either motivates us to worship or it stops us in our worship. So what are some of the things that we fear? I think we fear what others think. I mean, this is the big one for young believers or even students here. We fear what people think of us when we tell them that we are a Christian. Sometimes we fear we may lose control. We fear we may lose our lifestyle. We fear the unknown. We fear for the safety of our loved ones. But we rebuild and we worship even in our fear. The fact is, now is not the time to be silent. We must be more bold now in our witness and our testimony than we have ever been. Why? Because the day of the Lord's return is drawing closer. It's drawing closer. It's not a time to back down. It's not a time to give up. It's not a time to run away. We have a God who came to this mess of a world and set up residence in the name of Jesus. We have a God who laid down his life for us. We have a God that though he died for our sins, he is alive. We have a God who loves us no matter what. We have a God who gives us purpose and hope. We have a hope for tomorrow because of Jesus. We have a God who saves the unsavable. 
There is no one that is beyond the mercy and grace of our God. So let me say this. When our hearts are utterly disgusted by what we see happening in places like Afghanistan, remember that God's mercy and his grace is great enough to save those souls. Remember that. And that there are people in those nations that have done horrific things that God has changed their lives. And we should be praying to that end. When we see the atrocities happen, we pray, God, may your name get glory. May you save their souls. We have a God who saves the unsavable. We have a God who fights for us. And we have a God who cares too much about us to leave us alone. Either we will freeze up in fear or we will allow the events of the world to fire us up to accomplish the mission. Jesus promised trials. So when life gets tough, we can look at it as though we're winning. As though we are winning. The enemy, he hates us. He wants to destroy us. He's like all of those other nations out there. He hates the fact that we are still worshiping our Lord and Savior. So we keep worshiping. Let trials and fear fuel you because it means we are winning. Ezra chapter 3 verse 4. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord and, and the offerings of everyone who made freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the, of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. We see here that they continued all of these feasts that they had as part of ancient Judaism were a way of worshiping their God. Each of these feasts were, had symbolic meanings to the nature and the character of God, and they continued in their worship, even though the foundation of the temple was not yet laid. They said, even though we don't have a meeting place yet, that does not stop us from our worship. They got back to the worship. They got back to God's calling and leading. Verse 7. So they gave money to the masons and to the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and Tyrrhenians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the, the grant that had been made from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from the 20 years old upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, 
together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. They organized together. You can look over in Nehemiah, another book. It talks about how some of them would work with one hand and they had a sword in the other. Imagine this. Building the temple to their God was so important to them that they would work as a mason with one hand and they had a sword in another hand waiting for the attacks from the other people who, who despised them. They did not allow their fear to stop them and their rebuild. To rebuild, we need total involvement. We need everyone involved. They did not ignore the work of God. You know, it takes finances to push the work, the mission of God forward. You have heard it said the gospel is free, but it takes money to get it to the people. That is true. There is an investment that uh, must take place. It was the Levites, these temple servants, it was the people that all joined in together to rebuild. The church should not be, the church should be about building up, not tearing down. So the church should be for what we are known for. What are we known for, not what we are against? We as a church, we are known for freedom. The freedom that Christ has given us. We are, are for abundance. We are for flourishing. We are for serving. We are for Jesus. We are for others. We are for life. Let us be known for those things. So many churches are, are, are known for what they are against. Let us be known for what we are for. Verse 10 of Ezra. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets. And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. What did they praise to God? What did they say to him? For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You think about what these people had been through. All that they had suffered. A migrating people from one nation to another. Fighting off people wanting to kill them. And their response was, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. They were celebrating the fact that just the foundation had been laid. They stopped at that moment and said, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate just the fact that we have a foundation for the temple of God. You know, we are in such a driven culture Driven to the future, we fail so many times to stop and celebrate what God has done in our lives individually and then corporately as a church. When's the last time you as a family sat around 
and celebrated what God has done in your life that day or that week or that month. Thanking God. Celebrating what He is doing. You know, let's celebrate that God has spared our church from any death over the last 18 months. We have no one in our church. We're one of the few churches that could probably say that. Let's celebrate that our faith has been strengthened in God's provision, his protection, and his grace. Let's celebrate that our God has shown himself to be faithful to us throughout this entire time. Let's celebrate that we are a forgiven and a redeemed people. That is something to celebrate. Let's celebrate that God has healed us from sickness, from pain, and suffering. Let's celebrate what God is doing among us. Let's not forget. Let's not just move on to the next bright and shiny thing. Let's not just move on to the next goal. Let's not just be lulled into the comforts of life without stopping and celebrating the goodness of our God. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house. They're talking about the temple here. There were men who were young boys that were taken into captivity to Babylon. They lived through the 70 years of captivity in Babylon and Persia and that are now back home in Jerusalem. These men probably in their upper 70s, early 80s because they saw the first house. They saw the first temple. Scripture says, wept with a loud voice. When they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and a sound was heard far away. When was the last time you wept for joy because of what God was doing in your life? And more importantly, when was the last time you wept for joy because of what God was doing and is doing in our church? Are you so tied into the worship of God Almighty that your emotions, emotions are on display when God works. Church, we must be a church who weeps for joy, who cries out in praise and celebration to our God. You know, things will change, but we will rejoice. Things are going to be hard, but we will rejoice. There will be people 
who were here before, who are no longer with us, but we will still rejoice. Things that are new, but we will rebuild. We will rebuild and we will celebrate. So as you think about this portion of Scripture, does your life represent one that celebrates and is joyful at what God is doing? To rebuild, church, we must be unified. We need to worship. We need total involvement. And we need to celebrate as a church. When was the last time you celebrated the win of Jesus dying on a cross for your soul? If there's one thing that should stir our emotions is that when we serve a God that loves us so much, that sent his son to die upon a cross for our sins, we should celebrate that. Not just on Easter Sunday, not just on Christmas Sunday, but we need to celebrate and thank him for Jesus. We are guaranteed heaven with Jesus after this life. We have the guarantee that the Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us, no matter how difficult this life is. We know that our God is in control of this crazy, wicked world, and we do not need to fear. We know that Jesus will return at any moment and take us home to be with him. So church, as you can see today, church is not a spectator sport. For the nation of Israel to rebuild the temple, it took involvement of them all. You cannot go to church. Why? Because you are the church. We together are the church. Your workplace, your school is your mission. And your job is your sermon. Your colleagues are your congregation. Your students are your congregation. Your words are your influence. So today, let's leave here and start building. Let's build on this mission to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Are you building or are you tearing down? Where is your focus and attention? Because wherever that is, whatever has your attention, it has your affection. Do you need to change your focus? Is there something that God has asked you to do that God has stirred in your heart that you have not done? And what has God done in your life that you need to celebrate?